Hello everybody and welcome to the Leaders in Supply Chain Talent Podcast. I'm your host Shubh Fosdar, Head of Training and Development at Alcott Global. Delighted to have our guests today. The first guest is Manish Bundan. Manish is a C-suite leader and executive coach with over 18 years experience in the field of human resources and organization development. Currently, he is the chief human resources executive at the Rogers Group. His current responsibility covers over 5,500 employees uh, across 13 countries and seven business sectors, including aviation, logistics, fintech, property, and hospitality. Manish is also a trained executive coach, a certified agility coach, and a certified facilitator of Lego Series Play. Our second guest today is Radu Palamario. He is the managing director of Alcott Global, and I'm so excited to have both of them for the podcast. Apart from the credentials of Manish, I just want to share that he also is on a personal mission to ignite the spark of transformation in people and also to make this world a better place to work. And that's such a powerful mission to have for somebody who's heading HR at such a senior level and impacting so many people. So congratulations on having such a strong mission, Manish. And we hope that we can inspire all, all our listeners today through that mission and see how we can help people with their career, help companies in hiring and developing people. So Manish, let me just start by asking you the first question. You've been in supply chain HR for over 15 years right now, and talent attraction and recruitment has changed so much in the last 15 years. What are some of the best practices which Rogers uses to attract top talent? Thank you. Thank you, Shub, for having me and thank you for the question. So to answer the question, what are some of the best practices which Rogers uses to attract talent? We have a track record of growing talent from within. You see, um, we are 121 years young company, was founded in 1899, and we've had to reinvent the company a couple of times. What we found which works a lot is growing talent from within. That is, we recruit talent fresh from university, fresh from school, give them opportunities to grow, and give them at, at the same time, give them experience and exposure so that mm-hmm. they can choose and how they can grow their career. A few other best practices that we've been using and applying over the years. First and foremost, to attract talent, you need to develop a strong employer brand. And an employer brand which is consistent and coherent, that is what people see outside and what people live inside is very important. That coherent, that congruence of your employer brand is very important. We spend a lot of time on building that, the employee experience inside, and the brand outside. Now, when it comes to talent attraction, we also, I would say, use a a range of psychometric profiling tools, as well as exercises to be able to select the right person for the the job. And finally, give the talent the opportunity to learn through various programs, structured programs on leadership and on developing their career. In a nutshell, I would say, you know, for me, it all comes down to two key elements, leadership and culture. Leadership is it's all about how you create an enabling environment for leaders to grow and thrive in your organization. And in Rogers, we've come up with our own way of developing leaders through specific targeted, what you call tribe communities, 
leadership team, executive team, management teams, where we follow their the talent in those communities and how we grow them, grow them and their, their careers. And finally, the second part is culture. So it links up a bit to what I said before on the employer brand. So what type of culture you want to define, develop and diffuse in your organization, which will allow you to attract, grow and engage talents. Well, that's in a nutshell what I would say in terms of best practices. All right. So employer branding came across as a very strong thing. And I think the two main themes you mentioned was having the right leaders and the right culture. And there's a very interesting question here from one of our viewers on how do we involve customers in building the culture as well? That's a very, very, very insightful question. Great question. Thank you for asking that. I think we have to involve customers two ways. First, first and foremost, I would look at it from the internal customer perspective. That is, when you build your culture, it starts with your internal customer, that is your employees, which means understanding what is the experience you want to create inside. And when it comes to the external customers who you serve, it's important to have the feedback from the people through various surveys that you do, metrics that you have, which gives you an insight on what is the experience that is being, what is being given by the company to the customer's and the employees. So it's how do you manage that internal customer experience and that external customer experience so that it's congruent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll just Got quickly it. jump to the point of this question and Manish sharing. I guess a lot of companies do a little bit of a pitfall sharing, if I can. I'm not wanting to be negative, but I think it's something to be aware of. So a lot of companies do customer voice or customer experience type of surveys and engage and you know listen to or try to listen to the customers. They forget, however, to do the piece with the internal listening, which kind of is incongruent with the whole exercise in, its, in itself, because <laughs> you cannot listen to your customers if you're not listening to your employees. And I mean, ultimately, who listens to the customer? Your employees. So if your management doesn't listen to the employees, then why would the employees in turn listen to the customers? So I think that's, a, you know, that's something that just, you know, companies at large should be highly receptive to. And, and also leaders at large, another mistake, or I don't know if mistake, but Obviously, executives are busy, but there, there comes a point where there's a disconnect a little bit and, and if they become too disconnected from the business, one, they don't see the customer enough and they, they kind of, they can, they can be a pitfall in terms of missing that, that customer direct mm -hmm. relationship. And two, they can also get quite disconnected from the lower levels of the organization if they're not paying attention. So I guess if I can ask you, Manish, are there ways in Rogers in which you make sure that the top management, I'm putting the emphasis a little bit on the top management because obviously they drive a lot of the initiatives and if they're not aware, then how can they possibly fix a problem, right? So are there ways in which you kind of ensure that they don't lose touch, for lack of a better word, with the organization and with the clients? Yeah, in fact, it all starts with how you organize your structure and how do you create a structure which is more empowered and which has a, a free flow of communication and information. So the way we do it in Rogers, as I mentioned a, a bit earlier, is we have created structured, what I call tribes, communities, which are mainly concentric circles. That is, we've pivoted the um, org structure from being a vertical to horizontal. So what it, what it means is you have a small circle. You start with a small circle, which is the executive team, the exco, which is the top management. In Rogers, we have 14 senior executives who run businesses, the group CEO, CEOs of different sectors, as well as group heads. And around those 14, then you have the leadership team. That's the N minus one, what you call the direct reports of those 
14, and we have with that 125 senior leaders. And around those, we have 500. So it's a concentric model where one is inclusive of the other, and we we regularly different forums to engage with those. And around the 100-450 managers, we have the 500-5,000 community. So if you look at it, it's a it's an inclusive model where you can reach out to different communities in a very specific and targeted way, and you ensure communication as well as progression, be it for career, but also for decision making and uh, information flow. That that's how we do it. So to make sure that there's there's that constant flow and empowerment across such a diverse group like Rogers. Yeah, and I think one of the things which you mentioned earlier as well was how to make sure when it comes to customers, it's not just the external customers, it's also the communication with all the internal customers and making sure there's congruency. And I think that makes a lot of sense when it comes to building a culture that both external and internal customers come together. And also the fact about the employer branding, where it's not just about the customer experience, it's also about the candidate experience and the employee experience. So when it comes to candidate experience, it's about people who don't get shortlisted for Rogers, but still have a great experience and then build up on the brand from there. So I'm going to now ask Radu a direct question. Radu, you know, coming from executive search and working with so many companies globally, what are some of the things you would advise executive search firms to do when they're partnering with companies to make sure that they are able to attract the top talent? Actually, I don't know if I want to answer that because that's, you know, trade secrets. And I don't <laughs> want to well, nobody but else has drawn the so uh, <laughs> I think you are the biggest <laughs> secret of the success. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they should join Elkid Global and obviously we, we would train them very well. Uh, <laughs> joke aside, I mean, obviously there's very good headhunters out there. And I mean, it's not, I, I don't necessarily see this as a secret source of headhunting. I think it's a secret source secret it's the normal source of any sort of win-win relationship between partners right so any company if you want to work as a partner with them you need to understand very well what do they want it needs to be aligned on the principle of a win-win you need to be obviously if you're a headhunter be very well aligned with whoever gives you the mandate to search which is hr is one is always a key influencer stakeholder at the same time, equally important is the hiring manager, right? And understanding and also making sure, and a lot of times this is a complicated <laughs> situation, making sure that the different stakeholders within the hiring manager, the other stakeholders of the teams are aligned because sometimes the bigger the organization, and you know, Rogers is a big organization itself, they can be very conflicting sometimes interests and, and that needs to be upfront highlighted. And yeah, so I think I think that's where it starts, and it also should fundamentally be based on the relationship of trust and uh, and openness, right? So I mean, if there's things uh, yesterday, I had a conversation with the company, and you know, the CEO was saying, "Look, I'm looking to hire this position," and then the two people under the position, and I said, "Look, but are you sure it makes sense? Because you know, in my mind, you might want to hire first the," and he wanted to do it all at once. I said, "Yeah, but maybe you want to hire first the the head of that team, and then you know involve the head into hiring the other two. So I think it's a it's a matter of sharing openly whether or not it helps. I mean, maybe it's on the short run it doesn't help the business that you're you're doing directly, but I think giving the right advice, the open advice, and also being upfront sometimes because certain things make sense, certain things may not make sense, is important. And thirdly, I think." If you want to add value as a consultant, headhunter, whatever it may be, you really should know well 
you have to have a very good pulse on the industry that you're in. And, and the added value that a good headhunter brings to a company is that obviously that person would speak on a day-to-day -day basis with a lot, a lot of people from the industry and they would, should, they should, it doesn't always happen, but they should know better than the executives, which are obviously busy with running a business, what's going on, right? And then they should come from a perspective of, look, these are some of the things that are happening, competition A, B, C, maybe they're restructuring, add a level of information that the executives may not have access to just because they lack the time that the headhunter, which is good and specialized, has in terms of engaging with people in the community. So this is yeah. this, this And that's very powerful. Like as a headhunter, your main competency is knowing what the market has and what's happening in recruitment. And Manish, I want to throw this question to you as as a client, as an employer. What do you expect from your executive search partners to help you with attracting the top talent? For me, the word, one word, which uh, you mentioned in the initial question and also Radu mentioned afterwards is partner, is how do you partner with your client? And by partnering, I mean, how do you listen to what are the concerns, what are the elements, what are the issues they have, what are the objectives? So you get a better understanding. And from listening, you can also ask questions to help them clarify by asking questions to clarify assumptions, asking questions also to help act as a sounding board. Sometimes, as Radu mentioned, you might take a decision to hire, for example, two positions, but indeed it might be it might be worthwhile to hold on for the second, hire the first position, get the manager who can then be involved in hiring his direct report, uh, his immediate reportee then. So those kind of elements in terms of partnering for me is really about listening, asking questions, being available to share insights as well insights on only from an external perspective and industry perspective but also sometimes challenging your own perspectives mm -hmm. yeah and and you know it just reminds me of a story which is coming to my mind to, from my headhunting days when i was working with this aviation company and they were looking for this mid-level finance person and i said my first shot list, didn't hear back from the person. And I followed up a couple of times. And then towards the end of it, I knew I had the best candidates they could find for that role. I pretty much put my reputation on stake. And I said, you know what, forget all the five candidates, just speak to these two people. And if you don't like them, I'm not going to trouble you again. And they spoke to both the people, loved both of them. And they ended up becoming one of my biggest clients because there was this this sense of urgency, which I had to help them with the business they had. And we worked together till the end of my headhunting days. So I think it, it sort of summarizes the whole, what you guys have mentioned, understanding their problem, being the sounding board, sometimes even, you know, putting yourself at stake to be able to serve them in the best way possible. So now let's shift perspectives a bit because I'm sure there are some viewers here who want to progress in their career, who want to be hired for best employers. I would love to know from your perspective, what can senior executives and leaders do to get hired at the top level in supply chain? So Manish, why don't you start with what you think? Okay, thank you, Shub. So what can senior leaders and executives do to get hired? I, I would say there are three things for me. One is a strong business acumen, is they have to strengthen their business acumen. Second, at a high level, you're expected to have a more human, what you call the people skills. So developing those key skills when, when it comes to leading people and leading teams. And third, 
one element which is very often underestimated is how you need to develop your network. So let's start with the third one, actually. So developing your network. <laughs> then we work to the others. For me, that's the most important one because it's underestimated. So in a sense, a way we can say it is your network is your net worth. And as a senior executive, how you're able to develop that network within the industry, across the geographies, or with other companies or the industries helps, as then you can get access to insights and uh, information as well. And that's a critical element, as well as also your network with authorities, with other stakeholders, media, and so on, which are required at a senior executive level. The second one, which I mentioned, was people skills. But by people skills, I'm not generalizing, but I'm going to be more focused. Is how do you lead, and how do you lead people with the ability to, I would say, have the courageous conversations when required. At the senior level, you need to be able to confront. You need to be able to confront on issues, on perspectives, and it's not always easy to manage. The higher you go, you will see that the higher you will have to interact and have discussions which are not always straightforward. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's the second perspective. And the, the third element, which I mentioned, was business acumen. So business acumen mainly is talking the language of business, which is industry you're in, what are the metrics, what are the numbers which are important at the senior executive level to drive, understanding that, mastering it, and then leading it in that sense. Mm. And, and Radu, what would you like to add to these or do you have any strong perspective on any of these things which Manish has uh, shared with us? No, look, all, all valid and pretty much covers it. I, I may be the only one that I would... Well, let me first emphasize the point with the network because I've seen it countless times. I'm sure Manish, I'm sure you should have seen it countless times where people think that as long as I'm good technically, somebody will see it and they will get promoted. And that's probably one of the most detrimental and limiting beliefs that you can have because it doesn't actually happen like that in a corporate and it's a whole chain of, you know, do you, you know, do you have the network? Do you have the visibility? Do you have the relationship with the boss, with the peers, with the teams that you get promoted? That is actually more important sometimes than being the best technical expert in what you do. I mean, it's obviously fundamentally, you do need to know what you do. I mean, you cannot become a CFO. You have no clue on how to do a book of business and accounting and a balance sheet, but not the best balance sheet maker. It makes it to the CFO. The CFO is usually the one that can build relationships and networks and communicate best. So that that's just emphasizing. That. And maybe just to, to add to the Manish list is, is only one element that I would emphasize further, which is also you need to have a, some sort of a brand that you build. So in some ways that works with the network, in some ways I do want to distinguish it because that brand is both internal and external. Now it depends obviously on how much time you want to allocate, but I would say both are important. Internal, of course, tends to be more important up to a point, right? So, you know, I, I guess, again, it depends on your career. I've seen executives that have managed to shift successfully companies. You do not manage to do that and you, have, you don't manage to do that several times over unless you have a very good network and you've built a brand in the industry. That brand is built by LinkedIn, social media, going to events, going to networking, putting out you know, content, being a thought leader, sharing in industry forums, all of those good things. And again, I, I, I have seen again and again industry and executives that are very good at what they do they get so sucked and so busy with 
their day-to-day, -day, which is normal. Obviously, we are all busy. But I think they miss this point that, okay, brand is important. And not only for the sake of brand and for that empty shell. It's not an empty shell, but it's not just a narcissistic pursuit, right? I mean, it's also a pursuit of getting exposed, right? The moment you interact with others, you get different perspectives. The risk, if you stick too much internally, is that you miss, you know, maybe the world moved 200 kilometers per hour and you're just stuck in your, and it does happen a lot in corporates, you're stuck in your own bubble, you're whatever, trying to mm. figure it out in, in, inside, but actually there's so many other ways to do it externally. Had you gone, had you interacted, had you gotten different perspective from other companies and other startups and other network, you would be faster in terms of finding solutions yourself. So it's, it works both ways, right? So I think that that element of branding, networking externally is highly important. I am so glad. Oh, sorry, Manish, go ahead. On the branding part, when I've talked to people about it and they say, you know, I don't want to be visible. Be, um, I'm not comfortable with this. And then the key message about the, your personal brand is not about you. It's about the message that you carry, that you have to share. It's more about the message. And people will focus, will listen to you if you have a strong message. So if you want, if you're uncomfortable in projecting yourself, focus on the message and that's going to help. So I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I'm doing this with you too, because, you know, I have this formula, which I share with senior people that your market value equals to your performance plus visibility and most people stop focusing on the visibility element or leave it for a later stage and visibility is both these things your personal branding and your relationship building i try to not use the word networking because people think it's a transactional conversation instead of you know building that relationship and letting people know and as you said manish it's not about what's in it for me and look at how great i am it's about what value I can add to people. So the next time they are looking for something similar, they think of me because I've added that kind of value. So you come from a place of value add rather than, look, I'm bragging I'm the best in this. So, so I like the formula, very nice formula. There's a very fun way that I normally share about the, the, the core competencies that's required in corporate to succeed in corporate are three ends. okay? Mm -hmm. it's, Negotiate, navigate, and network. So love it. <laughs> navigating and networking. So how do you navigate yourself through the organization and being aware of it? Negotiating your way with people and networking. Yeah. Okay, great. So you know, you both have been in supply chain for so long. What are some of the biggest skills gap which you see in supply chain, especially when we go to the mid and senior level supply chain executives and leaders? So Manish, why don't you start with this? Thank you. So I think Radu also mentioned that before. That is, for me, the biggest gap that I see is shifting from a technical role to a business role. So mm -hmm. how do you focus from your strength, which is technical skills, to go into a more broader view with broader business acumen, broader leadership skills? That is moving away also from when you're in technical skills, especially in supply chain, you are driven by a lot by adrenaline to solve problems. And how do you shift from that adrenaline to be more mindful, more focused and be more driven by dopamine, if you look at it. So that's a big shift in my view. And it takes a lot of time for people to understand, to realize that you need to let go of that, that adrenaline, which you're really happy, which makes you happy in terms of problem solving to be able to find a way not to do it yourself, but to get it done through others. Of course, that's a generalization, I would say, but um, 
in a, in a sense, shifting from a technical role to a business role, being more visible, we talked about it, as an executive, which is who's capable of communicating and also driving meaningful change. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and Roderick, from your side. I'm going to do a selfless plug here, but we are doing an open program on the skill that we think and, and I think is the most missing, which is storytelling. And I mean, it's not just that we think it's, uh, we always try to put out programs that are useful. So we've heard this. I mean, I, I've been hearing this the last two to three years when I, since we started the podcast and, and we've been asking people what's missing, what's missing. And usually on the soft skills, it's storytelling, communication skills, presentation skills, influencing skills, whatever you want to call this. That tends to be to be a little bit missing in, in supply chain, and and again, in the frame of grossly generalizing, but it tends to be it tends to be true. Supply chain pr practitioners, whether they're in manufacturing operations, logistics, procurement, planning, they tend to be, you know, kind of an engineering, get stuff done, get things moving type of personality, right? They're not. Or let me explain to you the world. They're not sales and marketing, right? Or they're mm -hmm. not. I mean, generalizing, but they're not that type of personality necessarily. So a lot of times they struggle with. Um, so one is to communicate, in, you know, in, in a way that others understand. The other piece is to link it, to link that communication piece to how are you helping the business, right? To to go to the CEO to the board and say, look, we've increased the utilizations of our trucks by ninety percent. They're like, yeah, I don't really care. Like, I mean, how is that? relevant right so it's you know it might be a great thing for you but uh, you know tell me a little bit what's the link here i mean how, how does why, why why should i care right so formulating it like that versus saying look we have managed to help increase the customer request that we got by 50 percent and by that we increase the business revenue we generated by 10 percent is a different way of saying the same thing but in a way that connects to the business so that business acumen connected to the communication skills, these, these two to me are, are maybe the missing piece because ultimately, if we think practically, supply chain is the nervous system of a, of a company. It basically makes things move. I mean, if you're manufacturing something, ultimately you cannot live without supply chain. It's, it, your whole organization would crumble and you go bankrupt. So it's it's everything is linked, right? You know, your flow of goods, your your manufacturing of goods, money, information, all goes through the supply chain, right? So John Gatorna in the, my first book that I read eight nine years ago about supply chain talks about the nervous system of the body. So supply chain professionals actually have a very good overview of what's going on in the organization. But the piece which tends to miss miss out on is this ability to communicate properly and influence the decision makers, right? So that needs to be worked on at large and the ability to connect that to the business in a meaningful way that the CEO, CFO, whoever it may be, board members understand that there's a business purpose to it, not just utilizing more trucks. Yeah. And, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been having conversations with a lot of supply chain leaders, supply chain HR on what's what they feel are the biggest skills gap. And this is a recurring topic which we see coming up. Number one underlying theme is continuous learning to you know upskill themselves based on what's happening. And the others would be communication in a way that you start partnering with the business rather than be just a back-end uh, function. And you know, you put you don't position yourself as the mission critical function, which you really are. So I'm glad that both of you touched on that uh, topic before. And 
I'm going to put in the plugin again. And that's why we decided to launch Alcott Global Training with the storytelling workshop, which I think is such a critical skill for anybody, whether you're selling it internally to your business or you're looking for another role or you're look, speaking to customers. So yeah, make sure to find out more about that. Now, yeah, sorry, Manish, you were saying yeah, something. Just a quick one. I think it's a very good point that you put forward about storytelling. I have a personal story to share about that. We were doing a, a communication course for our internal audit team and they were finding it hard in terms of, okay, so how do I sell my services, internal audit in the group that it's something valuable, you know? So, and they came up after some time, we helped them come up with examples of storytelling. And there was one example which was used, which I found very powerful is one guy showed an apple, you know, so he shows an apple. And everyone looks at it and says, you know what we do? They say, no, what, what's about the apple? Said, we help you find out whether there is a worm inside of the apple. That's our role. Mm. So, and I found that very powerful for internal audit to come and say in a very creative way, storytelling way that, so we are here to make sure there's no worm in the apple. That's a very, very, very creative way. And it's memorable. That's the purpose of stories to make you memorable even years after the conversation. So thank you for sharing that, Manish. Now I'm going to ask you a very hypothetical question. Manish, imagine you have suddenly found yourself with a very high six-figure budget, uh, which you can use to develop the people, uh, mid and senior level people in your organization. How would you use this budget to help develop your employees and your teams? Well, first one, I would hire Alcott Global to help us. <laughs> Thank you so much for your trust in us. <laughs> drinks on us, drinks on us, Manish. <laughs> Very subtle. I'm not, I, I don't think anybody can realize. <laughs> I would start with by saying I'd have a very unconventional approach. Developing leaders, senior leaders, and high performance is a focus of three things a skill set, mindset, and health set. Okay, mm -hmm. so for the art of performance is skill set, health set, mindset. But it mm -hmm. starts with the health set first, followed by the mindset. So my focus would be starting with the health set, how to get executives, leaders to look after themselves, how they sleep, how they nourish their body, how they exercise, how they nourish their mind, how they meditate, how they remain mindful. So that, as you know, we are all corporate athletes, so we're running a race every day. But compared to actual athletes, Corporate athletes don't look after themselves enough. They don't rest enough. They don't sleep enough. And they get up, they end up being burned out. So your most important resource as an executive, as a leader, is your energy. How you look after your energy, how you generate energy. So it starts with that. Then comes the mindset. How do you look after your mind in terms of being having an open mindset, having a growth mindset that you're able to learn and be adaptable and agile to, to change? and working on your beliefs, on your purpose, on your values. Once you find these, you create a, a very strong congruence and alignment. You develop a very credible approach in terms of self-leadership, which then mm -hmm. I'll put forward then afterwards, focusing on key skills such as communication, storytelling. I would say also about conflict management and collaboration. So basically that's, that's what I would do. So that's a very holistic way of looking at your teams and not just imagining them to be robots who can just, you know, come to office, leave everything aside, do the piece of work and then go from there. And I think it aligns so well with the mission you shared with us of 
making the world a better place to work in. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, Manish, Radu, do you have any comments about you know, where can organizations, you know, invest in people to help them develop further, apart from using Alcott Global Training? <laughs> Look, I mean, I, uh, well, Manish is the expert on that. I wouldn't, Manish in yourself, right? I wouldn't necessarily consider myself as the expert. But but to me, I, let, let me bring into the discussion now what, what I posted today on LinkedIn. And then the underlying factor that I sense it's missing is make it fun. <laughs> I mm. sense that more and more companies are becoming way too serious. And, you know, I mean, okay, we're not here to discuss idealistic situations. And I mean, if there is a reality of why that is happening, obviously, there's, there's circumstances, obviously, there's executives that can't just say anything that they want, obviously, you know, even making a joke sometimes can pass as, as completely inappropriate, or you can get sued. But I think now it's getting to a point where it's is going overboard and i think it's, it's to a point where you end up you know uh, with with these huge organizations where they forget to have fun right i mean they forget to you know ultimately of course you're there to make money of course you're there for a higher purpose but you should also enjoy what you do and have some level of fun because i think when people i don't know maybe i'm strongly biased because i can only do things if it's fun but i think that's that's where we we engage uh, we engage ourselves best, right? So I think that element, it's a very hard balance to strike because, you know, I've even seen people that say, how can you have fun? You know, how can you possibly work under pressure and for deadlines if, you, if you're if you laughing or like, yeah, I mean, it's a very rigid approach. I mean, I actually, I find that most, you know, the best teams are the ones that have fun and, you know, there, there is a reason why that expression, work hard, play hard, right? It's It works and it works hand in hand. And I think that's where the balance of, you know, how do we, you know, political correctness is is there, is going to be there. You know, you obviously you have politics at large in organizations. You obviously have certain fear almost. I think executives nowadays are almost fearful to speak too upfront or too direct, you know, because somebody will get offended or somebody will raise a problem or some diversity issue will come up. Or, But I, I think there has to be a better way to mitigate that. I mean, Manish, maybe you share because you have the Lego Fun play, yeah. Well, I fully agree with you on that. I believe play is an expression of, of who we are and how we play. When we play, actually, it's like that's when we're really at our best. If you look at children, they're constantly cheerful, they're constantly curious, and they're constantly playing, and that's when they're learning and they're performing. So the point in time in our career, in our life, we stop being fun, we stop, we, and we grow out of cheerfulness, we grew into seriousness. And in that sense, that we get more rigid. And, and as a good friend of ours normally says, when you get serious, you get stupid. So <laughs> <laughs> in that sense, I would say fun, having fun in whatever you do, not only with your, with your team, but also on your own, finding your balance is important before being able to perform. And I'm going to share a very quick thing which happened with me this morning. So I went to a meeting with Mr. Palamario and I was in a bad state of mind because there's some health crisis happening back home, etc. So he saw my face and he realized there's something happening. The meeting was delayed. He spent good 10-15 minutes to make sure that my mood was uplifted, shared some nice videos, etc. And I think it makes even for productivity and idea generation, it makes so much sense because had I done that meeting with him in the state, I reached the office and reached the meeting 
my ideas would have been very very flat vanilla what i know but because we have that 10 15 minutes delay of meeting he got me into a state where i was i i, I was in a good frame of mind i could come up with things very quickly so i think even for business it makes more sense to have a lot of fun because then that's when people give their best when they are enjoying themselves so thank you so much for that radu okay <laughs> so good so uh, moving on uh, manish look i i'm just going to move towards you know wrapping things up and ask a couple of questions because i don't want to make this very long but you are an executive coach manish and i'm very curious to see how do you use uh, your coaching skills to help people your senior leaders reach their highest potential okay i would say as a coach i will look at it from um, i would say highest potential because mm-hmm. i believe potential is limitless so in a sense my focus as a coach is to help develop the person to the next level and then to the next level and then to the next level so it's a constant iterative process where we're constantly learning we're constantly growing as we are all constant works in progress so my approach is basically essentially focused on developing helping the person find their own answers their own resources and solutions putting in place those kind of measures mechanisms that they have to be able to keep learning and growing themselves and it starts a lot it has a lot to do with self awareness and self learning so being aware of your own having clarity on your purpose clarity on your values clarity on your beliefs be it your limiting beliefs as well as your empowering beliefs and clarity very very importantly about your strengths because as a leader you can only lead from your strengths so how do you leverage and strengthen that and then you start to focus on areas for improvement what are the things that the person wants to work on in terms of bridging the gap as a mm-hmm. from a coaching perspective so i've been very broad about it but of course there are different angles to it so i'd say for me there are three personal angles to to executive coaching one would be transition coaching to help you grow into between positions into a job or if you're moving careers you're moving jobs so that's the transition that you need to manage The second is relationship coaching how do you manage relationships with others but very often when you're doing relationship coaching at the end of the day we're really working with your relationship to self because your relationship to self that you have you end up projecting it to people around you if you're conflicted within you create conflict without around you so it's really with relationship to self and finally performance coaching so how do you bridge the gap on those dimensions of performance which you're expected to to deliver on So that's mm-hmm. in a nutshell my approach as a coach and what I believe works. Great and I'm I'm so glad that you don't use coaching as a way, you know, uh, as I say some organizations look at coaching as a way to make their employees perform in the right way or as the last stop before you know they they start asking this person retrenching that employee etc which is really not the purpose of coaching. Coaching the inherent purpose of coaching is to make the perf- person perform well and not as the last stop gap arrangement to see okay before we fire this person we have to justify that we worked with this person so let's do a 3 months coaching which is like going to the doctors when your disease has reached in very late stages it's a very valid point let me share an interesting perspective about that if you if you're going to do that man as well put the personal performance improvement plan and that's not coaching that's your performance managing okay 
coaching for me is really moving a person from point A to point B. And mm -hmm. it's really growing from A to B. And if you look at it in the world outside of work, outside of the corporate world, in arts, in sports, the best athletes have a coach, have a personal coach, Absolutely. isn't it? You have a personal yeah. coach for acting, you have a personal coach for... So in that sense, that's what the philosophy I believe we, knew, we need to add when adopt when it comes to developing people using coaching. Absolutely. So, look, uh, I know we are, we are reaching towards the end, but I really want to have last comments from both of you. What would your one advice be to people in supply chain who are eyeing uh, C-suite, whether they are eyeing it in the coming years or for entry-level people who are you know, eyeing in the years to come? What is one thing you would advise them to keep in mind? So, Radu, why don't you start with that? I mean, I, I guess the most powerful has to be, has to my head, would be get good mentors. To me, it's different than an executive coach. I think a mentor is somebody that has done it already and, and knows the pitfalls, knows what works, knows, you know, shortcuts, knows to give good guidance. So uh, my advice would be try to get a few, not just one, a few mentors, you know, because some might be good for giving you the advice to make it to board, make it to CEO, whatever you want to become, make it to chief supply chain officer. Some might be better, you know, giving you slightly different and, you know, uh, advice in terms of how do you build partnerships with the ecosystems of government or I don't know, right? So there's different, you can have several mentors. So I would say that's to my head, I mean, on top of we have discussed networking, influencing, da, 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 but that can shortcut a lot because it's basically learning from a sage, right? You know, when you go to mm -hmm. the guru, I mean, the guru has already walked the path and, and, and would know to give you some very good advice to shortcut your journey potentially. Thank you very so fun. much for that, Radu. Manish, what would your advice be? My advice, one advice would be to keep investing in yourself. I believe mm -hmm. the ability to, to keep learning is what separates the best from the rest. The, your ability to keep learning and investing in yourself. So be clear on always sharpening the saw, always having objectives in terms of learning what you're going to learn. And that helps people keep remain agile. Whatever situation comes at them, uh, it gives them a lot of resources. Resourcefulness comes with learning. So that's my one takeaway is keep investing in yourself. Because in a sense, what I would say related to that would be stay curious, stay hungry. All right, so that is the wrap. Stay curious, stay hungry, and get yourself the best of mentors if you want to really skyrocket your career and take it to the C-suite. I know we are slightly over time, but thank you so much to both of you for sharing so freely about your strategies, different pointers, different tips for people who want to develop themselves in their career and also for organizations to get the best of talent and develop their best of talent. So thank you very much and a very, very happy weekend to everyone. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to go to www.alcottglobal.com and click the podcast button for all the show notes of the interview. Also subscribe to our mailing list to get our latest update first. If you are listening to a streaming platform like iTunes, Spotify or Stitcher, we would appreciate a kind review. Five stars work best to keep us going and our production team happy. And of course, share it with your friends. 
I'm most active on LinkedIn, so do feel free to follow me. And if you have any suggestions on what to do or who to invite next, don't hesitate to drop me a note. And if you're looking to hire top executives in supply chain or transform your business, of course, contact us as well to find out how we can help.